Hello, this is Earl Nightingale. It's a great pleasure for me to introduce you to an outstanding program by Dr. Dennis Waitley, The Psychology of Winning. Dennis Waitley is a behavioral psychologist who has spent more than 20 years researching winners in every walk of life, from business people to athletes, from astronauts to prime ministers. He's worked with our returning prisoners of war and with our Olympic competitors, and has synthesized the unique qualities that make a person a winner, no matter what difficulties are encountered in life. And he communicates these complex and profound truths in easy-to-understand terms that are both interesting and motivating. The Psychology of Winning is possibly the finest self-development, self-management program available anywhere in the world today. It's a personalized educational experience which will help you create within yourself all the attitudes and actions you'll need to find self-fulfillment in your own life. I urge you to familiarize yourself with the scope of this remarkable program. Listen all the way through. Thoroughly acquaint yourself with each of the various sessions. Listen again and again, taking notes to remind yourself of ways in which you can adapt the ideas to your own daily activities. As you listen to these cassettes, you'll hear ideas as old as time, as new as the 21st century. I know you'll be as excited as I was the first time I heard the psychology of winning. You have a great treat in store for you now as you meet Dr. Dennis Waitley. Hi, this is Dennis Waitley. When you think of the letters POW, what usually comes to mind? Prisoner of War? Prince of Wales, maybe. Power of Women? Or Prisoner of Wishes? Well, for me, POW represents psychology of winning, because life is a perception through the eyes of the beholder. Your experience with or belief in will determine to a great extent the way you will view life in the present and in the future. Your attitude is either the lock-on or key to your door of success, and I prefer to view POW as a powerful positive abbreviation for psychology of winning. You know, I've devoted the past 20 years to research involving top winners and high-achieving leaders in every field, in business, in industry, government, the professions, and education, and supported by studies of Super Bowl and Olympic athletes, astronauts, prisoners of war, and individuals who seem to have put it all together in their careers, as leaders in their communities and nations, and at home with their families, in their important relationships with other human beings. But most of all, these are the winners who already have won the most coveted gold medal of all, and that's the gold medal of their own highest self-respect for their own unique service and contribution to life. During this 20-year period of intensive research, we've had one specific clear-cut goal in mind, and only one, and that goal is to bring to you, through the most effective learning medium possible, the finest self-development, self-management program available anywhere in the world today. And that's what the psychology of winning is really all about. It's a personalized education experience designed to help you create all the attitudes and actions necessary for self-fulfillment. The psychology of winning goes deep beneath the superficial pep rally and the rah-rah approach. It goes deep to the subconscious roots of motivation and behavior. Instead of a one-shot quick-fix booster rocket, the psychology of winning will take you directly 
on what we feel will be a fascinating but no-nonsense accelerated journey into the inner space of your own mind and give you an understanding of how to think like a total winner and why, but more importantly, how to behave and perform as a total winner in all of your daily orbits in the very real world in which you live. But most important of all, this program has been created as an ongoing, day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month growth experience, not only to help you gain all the professional excellence and material wealth you want, but the physical and mental health and happiness to go with your success, plus a new ability to cope with the physical, emotional, and mental stress that confront all of us on our continuing life's journey. We've identified and isolated what we feel are the ten most prominent qualities that total winners exhibit in common that make them so uncommonly successful. I'm going to go through in depth each of these ten powerful qualities of a total winner, and I'm going to build for you in a logical, easy-to-understand sequence the psychological foundation for top achievement in your professional and your personal life. I'd like for you to think of me as your own personal coach, your own Jiminy Cricket, if you will, keeping you up for the biggest, most important game that you'll ever play, and that's the game of life. You know, I look at life as a game, but not as a gamble or a game of chance or luck, but a real game, not a scrimmage or a practice game, but one in which there are no timeouts, no substitutions, and where the clock is always running. And I want you to go into this program with me, understanding there is no replay, that it's your World Cup, it's your Olympic final every day. In the game of life, we've come to know three types of people. First, there are the spectators, who watch life as bystanders and play it safe on the sidelines, with no real involvement for fear of being ridiculed or rejected, and yes, for fear of winning. And then there are the losers. By losers, we're not referring to the millions of disadvantaged and hungry people throughout the world. Losers are the individuals in our abundant free society who'd like to look like, be like, earn like, or be somebody else without the effort. And you can always spot losers in life by the way they try to make themselves look right by putting others down and making everyone else wrong. But you and I are interested in the winners in life, and those are the few like you who in a very natural, free-flowing way have put themselves together across the board in life, at work in their professions, at home with their families, in society, with nature, and in their own spiritual dimension in life. The psychology of winning features ten qualities of the total winners in life. There are five attitudinal qualities and five corresponding action qualities. You know, I'm certain that as you listen to, comprehend, and dig into and really re-listen and begin to apply these ten qualities on a daily basis, you'll discover, as I have, and as hundreds of thousands of others who have become seriously involved with this program, that the changes in your life will be dramatic and permanent, and that you'll begin to uncover ideas you've never thought of worth a thousand or ten thousand or maybe even a hundred thousand dollars to you. So as your personal coach and your Jiminy Cricket, Let's get out of the locker room and into the arena and get on with the game, the game of life, the real game, the psychology of becoming a total person.
This message is on the first winning attitude of positive self-expectancy. And positive self-expectancy is the first, most outwardly identifiable quality of a top-achieving, winning human being. Positive self-expectancy is pure and simple optimism, real enthusiasm for everything you do. And optimism is expecting the most favorable result from your own actions. The theme of this message is that winners expect to win in advance. There never was a winner who didn't expect to win in advance. Winners understand that life is a self-fulfilling prophecy, and they know that you usually get what you expect in the long run. So winners accept the belief that hope and a deep, unbreakable faith forged into a fundamental attitude of positive self-expectancy is the eternal spring from which all creative, motivating energy flows. The idea that faith conquers all has been verified from biblical times to current-day medical histories to daily stories of heroism come from behind victories and rags-to-riches success that we read about every day in the newspapers. There are human biographies of greatness that we read about, hear about, and watch on TV. And we marvel over these special people who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. But let me ask you this. Did it ever occur to you that you also are one of these special people? Well, you are. You see, most of the real winners in life are so busy contributing, they don't even think of seeking publicity for their acts. Most of them are discovered by the media caught in the act of winning. Only a few famous people are winners, and only a few winners ever become famous people. That's because success is a very individual thing. Success is the way you spend your minutes doing your best for others. It's the way you take the talent you were born with and the knowledge and skills you've since developed and using them fully toward a purpose that makes you feel worthwhile according to your own individual internal standards. In your quest for excellence, there are two powerful sets of great expectations affecting your life. First, there are the expectations that others close to you have for you. And then there are the expectations that you have for yourself. While we all try to rise to the expectations that others have for us, there is no question that our limitations and success will be based most often on our own expectations for ourselves. What the mind dwells upon, the body acts upon. As a behavioral scientist studying the lives of thousands of winners and losers, it's clear to me that psycho the mind is your own best fortune teller to forecast the actions of soma, the body. And understanding this mind and body psychosomatic relationship is the key to understanding the importance of the first most outwardly identifiable quality of a winner, that of positive self-expectancy. Winners expect another good day, a promotion or a raise, to find a parking place, a productive meeting, and a harmonious family life, and they usually get them. Winners know that their actions will be controlled by their current obsessions. Losers generally expect more of the same frustration, more problems, the loss of a job, a dull evening, bad service in a restaurant, and failure. But most importantly, losers expect to feel bad and get sick, and they do. Careful studies of the life histories of thousands of widely differing people have shown that the probability of health changes, such as sickness and accidents, can be predicted. We're learning that all disease is not necessarily caused by germs. All of us have germs, 
but only a few become ill as a result. Instead, the cause of disease is closely linked with the way individuals react to life. The link between stressful life changes, expectant anxiety, and health changes seems to be associated with the body's immune system, which makes antibodies to fight foreign material and germs. Situations which arouse fear and anxiety also suppress many body functions and may suppress antibody production as well. Distressful situations may also upset production of hormones, which have a role in emotional balance. An emotionally upset individual is much more prone to accidents. Listen to this data compiled by the director of the National Institute of Mental Health. Personal factors cause between 80 to 90 percent of all industrial accidents and up to 30 percent of employee absenteeism and up to 80 percent of those who are fired from their jobs are removed because of personal problems rather than technical or skill competence factors. It's a fact that ulcers are not the result of what we eat, but what's eating us. And some cases of arthritis and bursitis are associated with rigid and mentally restrictive individuals. And some asthma is much more pronounced and lingering in a child that has been overly protected by a doting parent. An excellent treatment for this type of smother love asthma is a parentectomy at the Children's Asthmatic Hospital in Denver. Remove the parent from the child and the child begins to breathe more easily again. Recently, I presented a paper at a health conference attended by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Surgeon General of the United States, and many leading health scientists. Also presenting was Dr. Herbert Benson, Professor of Medicine at the Harvard Medical School and Director of the Division of Behavioral Medicine at Boston's Beth Israel Hospital. He's the author of the best-selling books, The Relaxation Response and The Mind-Body Effect which document the emotional relationship to many diseases. In his work, Dr. Benson brilliantly explains the fact that even voodoo is belief, not witchcraft. The concept of voodoo death is the extreme example of the potential negative effects of the mind on the body. Voodoo is a set of religious practices said to have originated in Africa as a form of ancestor worship. Among Australian Aboriginal tribes, Witch doctors still practice the custom of pointing the bone. Now, you may remember the nostalgic game of spin the bottle, where partygoers sit in a circle and whoever the bottle points to when it stops spinning gets a kiss. Well, when the witch doctor spins the chicken bone at a tribal meeting, whoever the bone points to gets a fear-induced heart attack and dies. The many instances of such death have been dependent both upon the victim's awareness of the spell cast and the victim's strong adherence to his society's belief system. In our own society, we have many negative equivalents to voodoo every day. Consider, for example, the death of Elvis Presley, the rock star legend. He died shortly before his 43rd birthday of the same apparent cause at the same age as did his mother. Although there has been much discussion as to the effect of the medications that were involved, one of the least mentioned aspects of Elvis Presley's death is that he may have been obsessed with it during the last year of his life and probably expected it to happen. I know a man who says, I get my migraine every afternoon at four. Here it comes. There it is. I know a woman who says, we always get the flu at our house in July, and her family always does get the summer flu, as if the little virus bugs are just lurking outside her window for their annual July celebration. 
But what does all this have to do with positive self-expectancy and winning attitudes? Well, simply this. Mental obsessions do have physical manifestations. You do become that which you fear. You get what you suspect. You are that which you expect to be. This power of the self-fulfilling prophecy is one of the most amazing phenomena of human nature. What do you expect for yourself? You should expect the best. The winners in life, believing in the self-fulfilling prophecy, keep their momentum moving upward by expecting better jobs, more money, good health, better family relationships, financial security, warm friendships, and success. The equal but opposite force to voodoo is total incurable optimism. All really successful individuals fervently desire and expect to win, no matter what curves life throws at them. Think about Helen Keller, who graduated magna cum laude and devoted her life to the service of others, although she had been deaf and blind since infancy. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he had polio. And the modern artist Matisse created some of his best work when he was nearly blind and aged and bedridden. A young woman named Patty Catalano overcame the self-destructive habits of overeating and chain-smoking to become one of the top ten marathon runners in the world. And I remember a little black girl who took her optimism from the back streets of Harlem to the center court at Wimbledon, Althea Gibson. In spite of their bloodlines and handicaps, they expected to do their best. They wanted to achieve and expected to excel. You know, I thrive on optimism. I had a 97-year-old neighbor who planted an orange and a grapefruit tree seedling in his backyard because he wanted freshly squeezed juice, even though it would be four years before the trees would bear fruit. I went right out and bought a young redwood tree that I could nurture, and you know how long they live. Yeah, I'm a sucker for an optimist. When I see an optimist, I always say, Here, stand on my shoulders and see the view. How does it look from up there? When I see an optimistic stockbroker or a car salesman or a real estate broker or a service agent, I want to invest my money and my time with them. When I go into a clothing store and the optimistic sales clerk says, that suit just jumps to life on your body, I'm putty in their hands. Something happens to me when I try on clothes and the clerk admires my reflection in the full-length mirror and he or she says, you know, you really do something for that suit. It looks like a million dollars on you. Well, with them so optimistic about me and the way I look, there's no way I'm going to leave that poor, forlorn $400 suit hanging on the rack to die when it can jump to life on my body. Of course I buy it. But there's more to positive self-expectancy than meets the eye. Medical researchers have discovered that the body produces natural morphine-like substances that operate on certain receptor sites in the brain and spinal cord. These natural internal opiates are called endorphins. Secreted and used by the brain, endorphins reduce the experience and screen out unpleasant stimuli. In fact, the presence of endorphins actually causes the feeling of well-being. In one related study, actors were wired to electrodes and connected to blood catheters. They were then asked to perform various scenes. When they portrayed characters who were angry or depressed, endorphin levels dropped. But when the scene called for emoting joy and confidence and love, endorphins shot up dramatically. Science has shown that positive thoughts produce endorphins. Endorphins, in turn, 
encourage feelings of optimism and well-being. So it works both ways. You sing because you're happy, and you're happier because you sing. Sixty to seventy percent of the population who visit physicians are sick as a result of an emotional feeling or a stress because of the pressure they feel from life. That's why it's so critically important to remember that the key to winning positive self-expectancy is for you and me to understand that in the long run, every individual receives just about what he or she expects. And if you have the faith that if you do things in the right way, you'll be rewarded accordingly, you'll be a winner. Optimism is a way of life. Some techniques for generating a greater attitude of positive self-expectancy include, first, looking at problems as opportunities, searching for the favorable aspects of every situation. There's a memorable story about one of our most successful and wealthiest businessmen in America, a pioneer in his industry. In the early days of his career, when he received any bad business news, he'd always say, that's good. And then while his associates stared at him in disbelief, he'd set about to find out what was good about it. And you know, there always was something good that he could find in every situation. Next, learn to stay relaxed and friendly, no matter how much pressure and tension you're under. In the beginning, it's likely that you'll have to fake it. But the truth is that both calmness and courage are learned habits. And there's no better way to learn a good habit than by actually getting in and doing it and living it. And next, and this is very important, in dealing with other people, instead of griping, try praising. In place of cynicism, try optimism. Instead of being unhelpfully critical, try being constructively helpful. You know, these are learned habits too, and everyone is dependent on others for at least part of their own self-expectancy. And next, get excited and enthusiastic about your own dream. This excitement is like a forest fire. You can smell it, taste it, and see it a mile away. Everybody loves the winner, but nobody crowds around a loser's locker room. So don't run around with the doomsayers who look up and shout that the sky is always falling. Optimism and realism do go together. They're the problem-solving twins. Pessimism and cynicism are the two worst companions. So surround yourself with the eagles, the no-problem can-do type, with big dreams like your own. It's the excitement of the big dream that carries you through the setbacks that you encounter. The single most outwardly identifiable quality of a winner is positive self-expectancy, optimism. It's the key to good health. It's the key to happiness. And it puts the favorable inclination toward the achievement of every goal you set. Positive self-expectancy is the winner's edge, that attitude of inner faith, that generates the inner drive to action, which is positive self-motivation. And that's the subject of the next message. A winning attitude of positive self-expectancy leads to the action quality of positive motivation. This message is on the winning activity or developed habit of positive self-motivation. Positive self-motivation is the inner drive that puts optimism into action for winning in life. The main theme of this winning quality is that winners are driven by desire. 
Winners are driven by desire. You know, there never was a consistent winner in any walk of life who didn't have that burning desire to win internalized. Winners know that the basic behavioral axiom in life, which Earl Nightingale first introduced to millions of listeners as the strangest secret, is the fact that you and I do become what we think about most. And put in another way, you and I are motivated every day and moved by our currently dominant thoughts. In other words, we move only in the direction of that which we dwell on. Everyone in life is self-motivated, a little bit or a lot, positively or negatively. Even a decision to do nothing is a decision based on motivation. Motivation is a much maligned and over-franchised and over-promoted and misunderstood term. The word motive is defined as that within the individual rather than outside, which excites him or her to action. It's an idea or a need or an emotion or a state that prompts to action. Motivation is a force which moves us to action, and it springs from inside the individual. It's defined as a strong tendency toward or away from an object or situation, and it can be learned and developed. It doesn't have to be inborn. You know, for too long it's been wrongly assumed that motivation is extraneous, that it can be pumped in from the outside through pep talks or contests or rallies. Such activities do provide concepts in education, encouragement, and inspiration for individuals to turn on their creative powers, but only if they want to and only if internalized. And that's the secret. Lasting change is affected only when the need for change is both understood and internalized. Until the reward or incentive has been interpreted and internalized, it has no motivation power at all. And so the real winners in life are the people who have developed as a result of an overall attitude of positive self-expectancy or optimism a strong positive self-motivation. In other words, they've developed this ability to move in the direction of goals that they've set or roles they want to play, and they'll tolerate little or no distraction from moving toward those goals. In the face of all discouragement, mistakes, and setbacks, this inner drive keeps them moving upward toward self-fulfillment. Motivation is a very emotional state, and the great physical and mental motivators in life, such as survival and hunger and thirst and revenge and love, are all charged with emotion. The two key emotions which dominate all human motivation with opposite but nearly equally effective results are fear and desire. Fear is the most powerful negative motivator of all. Fear is the great compeller and the great inhibitor. Fear restricts and tightens and panics, forces and ultimately scuttles plans and defeats goals. And desire, conversely, is like a strong positive magnet. It attracts and reaches, opens and directs, and encourages and achieves goals. Fear and desire are poles apart, and they lead to alternate destinies in life. Fear always looks to the past and desire toward the future. Fear vividly replays haunting experiences of failure, of pain, of disappointment or unpleasantness, and is a dogged reminder that the same experiences are likely to repeat themselves. But desire, on the other hand, triggers memories of pleasure and success. It excites the need to replay these and to create new winning experiences. The consuming prison words of the fearful person are likely to be, I have to, I can't, I see risk, and I wish. But desire says, I want to, I can, I see opportunity, 
and I will. Desire is that emotional state between where you are and where you want to be. So desire is a magnetic tension like a bull pulled taut to shoot the arrow to the bullseye. Is tension good or bad? Yes, it is good or bad depending on how you look at it. Negative tension induced by fear creates distress, anxiety, sickness, and hostility. Carried to extremes, it can cause psychosis and even death. But positive tension produced by desire is like that bull pulled taut to propel the arrow to the bullseye. Fear causes compulsion stress. Desire causes propulsion power. Fear causes inhibition stress. And desire causes ignition power. In a totally tension-free state, you're either asleep or dead. Viktor Frankl, the noted psychiatrist, flatly states that what a person really needs in life is not a tension-free state, but the striving and struggling for a goal that is worthy of him or her. The winners in life respond positively to pressures in life, whether they're executives, educators, doctors, nurses, athletes, or homemakers. The winners have learned how to concentrate on the desired results rather than possible problems. And winners dwell on the rewards of success and not the penalties of failure. You know, there's an old story that you may remember that graphically demonstrates what I'm talking about. Let's see if you remember it. If I were to put a plank two feet wide and 20 feet long on the floor, I put a $10 bill on one end and offer it as a reward to a friend if he or she can walk the length of the plank one foot after the other without stepping off on the floor and pick up the $10 bill. No sweat. Easy function, sufficient reward, low risk. Simple to walk one foot after the other for 20 feet. But let's say I put one end of the plank on the roof of a 20-story building and the other end on the roof of an adjacent 20-story building. And I put a pebble on the $10 bill just in case there's a slight breeze. And now we ask the friend to walk the plank just as before to pick up another easy $10 bill. Would they do it? Not on their life. Maybe for a $1,000 they'd shinny across. Suddenly a new element has entered the performance. Twenty stories of or else, or fear. As you begin to walk the plank, a relatively easy task, no longer is the reward of success the incentive, the penalty of failure looms as a neon sign beckoning and your legs tighten up and you step with excruciating care, unsteady, in need of a balancing pole. Fear of the penalty of failure takes hold and makes the most simple task of walking straight almost impossible to perform. And so it is with all of life's activities. Dwell on the reward, and you move confidently toward the reward. But dwell on the penalty, and you move hesitantly, but just as surely, toward the penalty. You know, there's a great classic true story involving baseball that's a perfect example. The World Series in the 1950s. New York Yankees, Milwaukee Braves. Warren Spahn, the great Milwaukee left-handed pitcher on the mound. Elston Howard, the great Yankee catcher at the plate. Score tied, two men on, two men out, three and two, a critical part of the series and a critical part of the game. The manager walks out of the dugout to give Warren Spahn, the great pitcher, some encouraging, motivating advice. Don't give him a high outside pitch. He'll knock it out of the park, said the manager, and walk back to the dugout. Warren Spahn said to himself, Why did he have to say it to me in that way? Let's see, don't give him a high outside pitch. The reverse of that is too late. Like a neon sign, high and outside came as the dominant message. Out of the park went the ball, a three-run homer. 
Because of that one dominant thought, Milwaukee almost lost the World Series. But Eddie Matthews came in with a home run to save the game in the series for the Braves. Warren Spahn to this day says, Why would anyone ever try to motivate anyone with the reverse of what they want? And so it is with all of life's confrontations. You tell your children, Clean up your room, you little pigs. And what do you get? You're right. You get a pigsty. And the kids say, oink, oink, remind them enough, and they know who they are. That's like motivating an office staff by saying, firings will continue until morale improves. You know, it just won't work. I know many coaches who unwittingly set up their players for losing performances every day. Here's an example in basketball. Missing free throws is what loses big games, team, yells the coach. You're all going to stay late during practice and shoot free throws until you stop missing them so often. Well, a winning coach would take advantage of the positive motivation opportunity by saying, teams with high free throw averages win ball games. I want you to put an extra 15 minutes a day making your free throws in practice so that when we get them during next week's game, we'll make all we can and we'll win the game. You see, this is the right way to motivate. Fear motivation should be reserved for physical danger imminent or wartime situation or last resort. Keep your head down or you'll get it shot off. Don't run in the street or you'll get hit. Don't touch the flame or you'll get burned. If there is danger to health and safety, use fear motivation. If you've tried every incentive and desire motivation possibility and you still can't get positive movement forward, then use a modified fear motivation approach. For example... You've tried everything to get higher productivity out of an employee in a key position. The last resort is to call him or her in the office and say, I'm giving you a one-month opportunity to improve the quality and quantity of your production, which I fully expect you to do. You have the skills and the talent. Unless you meet the targets we've set, I'll help you make arrangements for seeking employment elsewhere. Remember, Fear can stop bad behavior, but it's no good for trying to continue positive behavior. It's like putting a gun to someone's head and saying, relax, do your best, and nobody will get hurt. I remember an interesting day in Aspen, Colorado, when I was learning how to ski. I went up the wrong chairlift, and I ended up on a ski run with a black diamond symbol in front of it marked expert. Why not, I smiled, fantasizing that an older version of Billy Johnson was being reborn on the slopes. I should have looked more closely at the name of the ski run. It was appropriately called Adios, which in this case meant goodbye pronto. My original image of the desired result quickly turned into stark terror as I considered the penalty of failure, a compound fracture of the fibula, a possible broken neck, and a tree implant. Falling on a ski slope is inevitable. However, it is the dominant thought and the motivation at the time of the fall that means everything. Losers panic and fall toward the uphill ski, thereby risking a broken ankle and serious injury. But winners relax and fall down or roll down the hill and pick themselves up, brush themselves off, put on their skis, and do it all over again. But it's hard to do that when you're in a full body cast. <laughs> you know, I'm learning to read ski run signs much better. Winners know that all of their actions will be controlled by their currently dominant thoughts and that you cannot dwell on the reverse of an idea. That's why you can't lose weight if you keep thinking about how fat you are. That's why you can't stop smoking 
if you see yourself as a smoker, and that's why you can't get rich if you're worried about your bills. Winners see risk as opportunity. They see the rewards of success in advance, and they don't see the penalties of failure. The innervating powers of fear are unfortunate, because individuals dominated by fear, they can't act with choice or positive intent. They go through life reacting and defensive. People who are dominated by stress are unable to change the world they live in. The world they live in alters them. It's a strange and sobering fact that the thing we fear most, we ourselves bring to pass. Many years ago, the English essayist James Allen wrote, They who have conquered doubt and fears have conquered failure. Their every thought is allied with power, and all difficulties are bravely met and wisely overcome. Burning desire is the perfect mental antidote for fear and despair. Desire sparks activity, which burns up excessive adrenaline in the system. It keeps the mind busy and the hope of achievement alive. Inactivity breeds despondency. It brings forth dark imaginings and distorts situations, all out of proportion to reality. When fear begins to beg for attention, the winner gets busy and things gain their proper perspective again. After decades of search and study, we now know that high achievers in life have a high degree of self-motivation. The enduring power that moves them to action comes from inside themselves. So success in life is not reserved for the talented. It's not in a high IQ and not in the gifted birth. And it's not always in ability or the best equipment. Success is almost totally dependent upon drive and persistence. The extra energy required to make another effort, to try another approach, to take a new tack. That's the secret of winning. Out of adversity is the call to greatness. Out of luxury sometimes is the lull of apathy. Out of need springs desire, and out of desire the energy and the will to win. We need to really learn and remember how to develop this winning action quality of positive self-motivation. And it's important for you to remember that everyone is self-motivated a little bit or a lot, positively or negatively, and that motivation is not optional. Even the decision to do nothing is a motivation. Each of us is motivated by our fears or our desires. Fear is unavoidable because it can get you out of danger. It can save your life. It can save a child's life. But as a habit or a way of life, fear has an extremely destructive side effect. Fear is a red light that can stop dangerous behavior, but desire is the green light that lets you go forward toward your goals. So your most valuable exercise in developing positive self-motivation is to try to replace fear motivation with desire motivation. Fortunately, because fear and desire are often two sides of the same coin, this is not as difficult as it appears to be. Fear of poverty can be replaced with desire for affluence. Fear of sickness can be replaced with desire for good health. Fear of failure can be replaced with desire for success. Winners realize that they are motivated by their currently dominant thought. So your concentration should be on the reward of the success that you seek rather than the possible penalty of failure. Now consider the first example of poverty and affluence. Should you focus your attention on the thoughts of a sluggish economy, shrinking opportunities, unfair taxes, insurmountable debts or inflationary housing costs or bankruptcy options? Or would you prefer dominant thoughts of expanding opportunities in a growing world economy, solid tax-deferred investments, compound interest, 
a beautiful home and financial independence. Remember, you make the choice of concentrating on the problems or on the solutions. If you desire an affluent or wealthier life, make it a habit to find out, to look at, to talk about, to use visual aids available such as home and recreation exhibits, auto showrooms, home decorator magazines, and get the full vivid details of what you want. Imagine yourself using and enjoying them every day. And always remember that when you fear a possible outcome, you're actually setting it up to be achieved as if it were your goal. Make desire your currently dominant thought, and it will propel you with the motivating energy for success in every area of your daily life. Behind every winner is the burning desire of optimism and enthusiasm toward the rewards of success and not the penalties of failure, toward the solutions in place of the problems, and toward the answer in place of the question. Losers see thunderstorms, winners see rainbows. Losers see icy streets, winners put on their ice skates. Losers complain, winners train and gain. Losers take chances, winners make choices. Losers are aggressive, winners are assertive. Losers seek attention, winners earn respect. Losers fix the blame, winners fix what caused the problem. Losers live in the past, winners learn from the past and enjoy working in the present toward the future. Losers make promises they often break and winners make commitments they always keep. Losers react negatively, and winners respond effectively. So losing is a habit, and so is winning. Here are some action reminders toward positive self-motivation. Replace the word can't with can in your daily vocabulary. Can applies to about 95% of the challenges you encounter. Replace the word try with will in your daily vocabulary. This is a form of semantics and simply establishes your new attitude of dwelling on things you will do rather than on things you plan to try with that built-in excuse in advance for possible failure. Next. Focus all your attention and energy on the achievement of the objectives you're involved in right now. Forget about the consequences of failure. Failure is only a temporary change of direction to set you straight for your next success. Remember, you usually get what you think of most. And next, make a list of five of your most important wants or desires. And right next to each, put down what the benefit or payoff is when you achieve it. Look at this list before you go to bed each night and upon awakening each morning. And next, give solution-oriented feedback when people tell you their problems. When the problems are your own, focus on the immediate thought, what's the answer? And next, seek and talk in person this week to someone who currently is doing what you want to do most and doing it well. This applies to earning or selling, managing, skiing, acting, speaking, or even being a good spouse or parent. Find an expert. Get the facts. Make a project of learning everything you can about other winners in the field. Take a course in it. Get personal lessons and generate excitement by mentally seeing yourself enjoying the rewards of success. And finally, for every one of your goals, make it a habit to repeat again and again, I want to, I can. I want to, I can. <laughs> 